Welcome to our first ever podcast of Healing Healthcare. My co-host today is my good friend and business partner here at Trace Body Rejuvenation, Laura Milden. And I don't think we could have found anyone better to have our first podcast with other than Jonathan Lowe. He's the Director of Business Development at Chen Med here in Houston. They're a practice that is dedicated to changing lives and to changing healthcare by serving moderate to low income seniors with chronic diseases. And I'll tell you what, they're doing a hell of a job at it. Our conversation today, it dives deep into value-based medicine, how to put the human touch back into healthcare. And they start by doing that, making wait times less than 15 minutes. They do dancing classes, they do festivals, and they do all sorts of integrative activities for their client populations. Jonathan really shines light into how we can build a healing healthcare by making the days worth living for through service, overcoming mental barriers, and truly making a difference by working in collaboration with each other, but more importantly, with their clients. So we're super excited to bring this podcast to you today. So Jonathan, like I was looking at your website and it looks like y'all are, y'all are like a pretty massive company. Absolutely. Well, just to give you some background, here's a little bit of the history. We're a division of Chen Med, and Chen Med started in Miami, Florida, Mm -hmm. with James Chen and Mary Chen, husband and wife. Um, They immigrated to the U.S. from Taiwan, and James came over here. He worked hard. He uh, went to school. He developed a medical practice, uh, primary care. And so that's kind of how our, our story is going to go. But in 1984, he ended up getting the news that absolutely all of us on all your listeners and all of us fear. Maybe you've had a, a family member or a friend, but he ended up getting a diagnosis of cancer. And it wasn't only cancer. They were telling him it was terminal. So his family kind of gathered around him. They said, well, look, you know, we're not going to take this laying down. We need to, to see what options are out there. And that's why Houston is such a big deal for the Chen family, because they went to MD Anderson. Um, so James went there. He was talking with specialists. He found out that there was a misdiagnosis, that there was, you know, there were treatments available that he could do. And it was able to save his life. But after it was all over, James was looking at his wife, Mary, and saying, you know, we can do better. He suffered from uh, doctors not really talking and communicating and sharing information. And I I just wanted to share with both of you, it's one of the reasons that kind of compels me to come to this company is the fact that with James and Mary, they decided that they could do it better. They put together, they didn't know it at the time, but they put together value-based medicine. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But what it was is being able to have, imagine having a practice where you have specialists in that practice, where the primary care actually takes the lead and actually goes through and communicates with the specialist, where you can have all the different tests in one place. And that's really kind of how it started. But for me, it resonates because um, in 2008, I lost my father. Originally, I started my career in the medical field and kind of worked through different positions. And my dad ended up having multiple specialists. Uh, My dad was suffering from cancer. Um, He also had issues with COPD and, 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 and had a heart attack. So what happened is my dad was seeing a pulmonologist. He was seeing a cardiologist. He was seeing a renal doctor. He was seeing a cancer doctor. And I have to tell you guys, nobody was communicating. Nobody was talking with each other. That's a massive problem in the system, right? 
Um, Absolutely. And certainly in healthcare, we talk about these holistic groups where we're sharing information and electronic medical records, right? So yeah. your endocrinologist can see what the cardiologist has. But in real life, it doesn't actually work that way. Um, Laura, you hit it. It doesn't work like it should. Just because you have electronic medical records doesn't mean that anybody's actually taking the time to review them. Well, and it, it might be true that, one, they don't have time to review it, right? Because insurance says you have this much time with your patients. So that only leaves time to prep either before you go to work or later in the day or on your weekends. Uh, and how can you do that? That's not sustainable. Then you'll have burnout for physicians and caregivers. And yeah. And well, you hit the biggest problem. You know how a moment ago I was talking about value-based medicine. Well, let's talk about how most primary care doctors work. Um, if you have a medical practice, they're, they're basically fee for service. So they're paid on a capitative model. They're getting so many dollars per member per month. Now, by the way, that, that amount of money ranges, and it depends on the hospital, hospital system, carrier, et cetera, but it runs between just, say, 9 and $14 per member per month, whether they see them or not. So what happens, the average panel, and that's just nothing more than the number of patients a doctor has to have, nationally, on average, is 2800 per primary care provider. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Think, think about this, guys. If, if we had, if the three of us had a practice and we were paid on this capitative model, I mean, we would have to have about 9,000 patients, right? I, I mean, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at about almost 9,000 patients for all of us. And how are we going to provide wow. really good care on a personal basis where I remember you and your name and how's your dog doing, right? Exactly. I mean, that's when you know someone cares about you and they remember who you are, you know, like, did you get the results back from your endocrinologist? You know, that kind of stuff. Well, and, and that's exactly the direction that we went. Um, dedicated senior medical centers, we're value based, which means, you know, how I was talking about the average provider has that 2800 panel. Yeah. Our panels are only 450 per primary care. Well, that's, that's more doable, right? Yeah, when you absolutely. think of, I mean, that, it, so 450 per doctor per year? Uh, well, yeah, correct. Well, actually, the, no, for the whole panel. So whole panel. We, we start our medical center and we always start off with two primary care doctors. So as they're starting to fill that 450 uh, patient panel, we're already looking at recruiting to bring in the next doctor and the next one. We can take up to six primary care doctors per center, right? Um, so we're going to actually grow with the needs of the neighborhood and what's locally around us. So as we have more seniors coming in, we'll bring in more uh, primary care doctors. But you know, here's the fun part, Laura. When, when, just say when it gets to a point, I, I know what your next question is going to be. <laughs> and Andrew, you're looking like Jonathan. Okay, well, what happens when you get your, your five or six doctors? Well, really, when we start getting to four, we realize that we need another medical center near the area because we're getting so many people coming in that we need to build the next facility to be able to accommodate uh, literally the growing demand of the patient base around us. So we're always we're always looking for the next steps. You know, we're, we're filling these panels. And, and the one thing I want to say, going to your point, Laura, I mean, you hit it. 
the reason why I love talking to you guys today is because you uncovered the top three or four things that, that most people are not aware of that are really causing them problems. But with that 450 patient panel, when our patients come in to see our doctors, guess what? They're actually seeing the doctor. They're not seeing a PA or a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. Our doctors are actually giving out their personal cell phone number to the patient. And so that was crazy when I, I know, came right? to that, that opening, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the physicians who are, you're going to see me first. You're going to see, you know who you're going to see? Me. Not a series of, about not to disparage nurses and PAs and you know, nurse practitioners, but it is frustrating if you have something that's unique about your healthcare issue, right? And yeah. you don't have the actual doctor or specialist. Um, it, it, it's frustrating because your voice isn't heard. Well, exactly. And, and Laura, I want to give you a true life example. Uh, one of the things that we worked to, to overcome. And, and for, for all your listeners, Laura and I had an opportunity to meet at an opening of one of our medical centers. And she and I were talking about the, the different uh, advantages that, that we had and the different approach we have with value base. Um, the one thing that's really interesting is if I called my primary care doctor, guys, just so you know, uh, I am not over 55. I'm under 55, but if I called my doctor today, it would take me approximately 10 to 14 days to get in, okay? Also, I have not seen my actual doctor in probably 10 plus years. I have not seen it. I've seen the PA or I've seen his nurse practitioner. Between us, I don't even know if my doctor is still in the practice anymore uh, because I, I haven't seen him. And, and so this is the problem. I come in, I haven't seen the doctor. It's taken me this long to get in. And then once I get in, and, and, and honestly, guys, I will tell you, if it's going to take me 10 days to get in, I won't go to the doctor because I, I just feel like I'll be well by that time. So, And I almost wonder if that's part of the thinking of the system. Well, I mean, maybe that, that makes me sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I'm going no, through some, some issues like right now. And it's curious to see how long it takes for me to get an appointment to see someone. Right. Well, um, but I want you to carry this on because part of our conversation that was really electrifying is talking about uh, like around in other countries, mm -hmm. what we see perhaps starting here is that for every decade you are older, uh, access to care or the type of care you get begins to shift. Yes, that's, that's unfortunate. And, you know, what we're going to be talking about obviously now gets to be a little controversial controversial. People also get very polarized. Unfortunately, when you start talking about medicine in other parts of the world, and we talk about socialized medicine, unfortunately, here in America, we become polarized. Everybody takes a, a hard left or a right. I need everybody to understand that life is in shades of gray, the, that the reality of it is, is that what you see on TV are extremists. Uh, reality is in the middle. And that's where we are really bad, I think, in general with this. Socialized medicine, however, um, one of the things that you have to take a look at in most countries' models is that you have a value of life quotient, which means, and Laura, this was something you and I discussed, yep. that value of life quotient means, okay, 
guys, let's use me as an example. I'm just say I'm 40 years old. I am, I'm working, I'm paying taxes. I'm a productive member of society by all accounts. So what happens is that I need a, I need a kidney transplant. Well, I'm a good bet because again, like I said, I'm young, I'm viable, you know, I'm, I'm working. However, let's, let's take it forward. Let's just say that I'm right next to another patient who's 65 years old. They're retired. Um, you know, Technically, mathematically, they may only be living to 68 to 72, right? Now, how much money and resources do you spend on that person? And that's one of the things that you see in other countries when we talk about socialized medicine. And you hear about people not being able to get certain types of procedures and elective procedures taking years because, again, you have only so many doctors. You only have so many resources. So this value of life quotient really comes into it. Now, again, I am not... I am not uh, disparaging it or, or commenting either way. What I'm saying is that this is a reality. It's the same thing when you looked at ACA. Uh, when people were actually reading into it, uh, you know, a lot of doctors came to me and said, you know, wait a minute. It looks like we can't give certain care for certain individuals of, of, a, of an age, like seniors, for example. And, and this is what everybody has to look at is that unfortunately, if you go to a socialized model, then they're going to have to make decisions. And when they do, the question is, who gets the resources? Obviously, the younger, healthier you are, more likely you are, right? And just to pause for one quick second, um, I used to run a lot of marathons and half marathons. And when I was new to running, I, I remember in my first several races, I got my butt skunked by people in their 80s. I know, right? <laughs> so, which is really humbling, right? It's like, oh, gosh. <laughs> um, but here's what that says, is if you have a quotient, uh, right, a value of life quotient, yeah. um, the 40-year-old, and let's talk about the 80-year-old, Okay. So let's go with this, right? My okay. like the, the that old guy who skunked me, eighty years old in a race. Um, so let's say, let's just make, doesn't matter the scenario, okay? But let's go with this: the forty-year-old will get the kidney, but is there any digging deeper to see if his kidney needs replacement due to lifestyle habits? Versus an 80-year-old who runs marathons, who's fit as a fiddle, but let's say was in a car accident and had an injury. Um, like, th- I mean, this guy's going to live to 100, right? So well, do, do, is there that where it's kind of this leveling? Well, in, in here, we have United Network for Organ Sharing, or UNOS. UNOS is a great organization. They basically run the, the what we would call the, the data registry for uh, organ donations and for individuals who need to be on a transplant list. Um, during my time, I worked for an organ procurement organization and we worked in conjunction with UNOS. I have nothing but the utmost respect for UNOS. I mean, it's, it's a very difficult task. There's not a lot of education in America about what all UNOS does, but they run the scientific registry. So what happens, there's a point system. What we do is if an individual needs to be on the transplant list, um, they'll take a look at it. Now, the factor is, is that they take a look at things like blood type. They look at your condition and they develop statuses, for example, status one, two and three, for example. And you have a status one A. This might be an individual who might not live 24 to 48 hours without an organ, which means they're 
critical. So a lot of times you can have an individual, let's just say, Andrew, uh, you and I are on the liver transplant list and you're a status two, which means, yes, you need to have a liver, but you are actually stable right now which means that you can wait. Now you get credit for time being on there, also the type of condition that you have. Um, and, uh, and there's a waiting period because guys, we do not have enough organs for the individuals that are out here on the transplant list. At any one time, you could find yourself 60, 70, 80,000 people on the transplant list. Wow. That's a lot of people. And the supply of organs is very low because in order to be an organ donor, it's only 3%. You know, when you see on your license that I'm an organ donor, it's organ and tissue donation. When it comes to actual organ donation, you have to have had, you have to progress to brain death. Okay. You have to have two confirmatory tests that you are brain dead. They have to maintain your body so that they can procure the organs so that they can allocate them to individuals and transplant them. Most people are tissue donors, which means they've got, they progress to cardiac death so they can take your heart valves, your tissues, your corneas for transplants, right? So, but for organ donation, only 3% of the individuals actually qualify for organ donation. So that's a very small pool. And what happens is that uh, UNOS has this system of points and allocates. Now, Andrew ends up being a status two. So he is stable, but uh, say he and I are both uh, the same blood type. Let's just say we're AB, and I'm sicker than him. And even though he's been on the list longer than me, I come in, I'm going to die within 24 to 48 hours. I might actually get to jump above him. So we do have a very intricate system of allocation of organs. I like that. I didn't know that. Oh, no. And I love it personally. I think I, I worked with it for, I, I, gosh, I can't even remember how many years, four or five years working in conjunction with those guys. Let me tell you something. It is very, very fair and equitable. Um, uh, and I have an acquaintance who has mm -hmm. been on the list to get a lung for yeah. forever. And he said it was uh, quite the process, right? Because he yes. was a smoker, right? Perhaps enjoyed recreational drugs and alcohol a little too much. Uh, so he had to prove that he would change his ways and get clean for a year and yes. do all the breathing exercises and go to a, you know, uh, breathing therapy, uh, respiratory therapy, um, really to show he would be worth being a candidate for a lung. Laura, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, um, during my time working with an organ procurement organization, and, and just so everybody understands, when I say we work in conjunction, I did not work for United Network for Organ Sharing. What happens, organ procurement organizations have access to their database, and we can call and coordinate with them uh, organ donations. Now, that being said, there were several cases where we had patients, for example, that uh, had really cleaned themselves up. You know, they actually needed a liver because they had, you know, drug use. IV drug use had basically uh, given them, uh, you know, different types of cirrhosis, which therefore destroyed their liver. Well, what happened if we discovered if they were listed and we discovered that those individuals were using drugs again or IV drugs or whatever, they would get delisted in lieu of somebody else uh, who was actually doing what they needed to do uh, in order to get that organ. Because the reason being, Laura, is if you don't, if you don't stop the behaviors that led to the organ failure to begin with, the new transplanted liver is just going to go to waste. It's going to be destroyed yep. in faster time than your natural liver was. Exactly. Yeah. Because of transplantation issues. Exactly. Yeah. But you know something, I'm glad, I'm glad you're friends. 
I'm glad he's on the list. I'm glad he's making the changes and I absolutely wish him the best. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought it was, I, you know, and I told him, I like, from my standpoint, that's entirely fair. There's too few organs to go around. So don't screw it up. Well, exactly. But that, see, I could see this being a whole separate podcast, and I apologize for the version. Um, I'd love to have you back on again, where we talk about kind of that aspect, right? How do we get more organs? How do we? Ah, that's a whole separate issue. I want to get okay. So you worked in that area. Um, I, I want to go more to, and you're right. When we start talking about problems, right? People get very polarized. And I, I think what's important is being able to have a conversation that takes the emotion out of it where you can point to um, things that work well, things that don't work well, the difference between our system and socialism. I mean, I think it used to be we absolutely had the number one healthcare system in the world, and then somehow that has been degraded and we're like, what, number 50 or something Yeah, worldwide. I don't think the answer is easy as saying we need a socialized system. I think because what works in a, in a country like Sweden of 6 million people yes. may not necessarily and, yeah, be scalable to our system. Exactly. And, and Laura, so, you, Jonathan, go um, ahead, is there, I was curious if you could tag, um, talk a little bit more about value-based medicine. It seems like that was a pretty major pillar of the com- of your company. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad we got to it. And real quick, Laura, to your point, you're absolutely right. A lot of things that we take a look over the seas when you're trying to compare Denmark to us, you can't compare somebody has a country of six to 10 million to somebody that has 300 plus million. And, and the way I, I want to connect those dots from that to what you're doing is that ChenMed has developed the dedicated senior medical centers Correct. Uh, to treat a very specific demographic, right? Um, not just from age perspective, but also financial capabilities. Right? Exactly. We, we believe we are... Um, we are first and foremost a primary care-led medical center. Uh, we specialize in care of individuals 55 and up that are on Medicare and specifically Medicare Advantage plans. Andrew, you asked about value-based. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. When Going back to my original story, when, when James was, was founding and changing this practice, he really had no idea he was actually developing value-based medicine. His thought was we could, we need to spend, we need to have fewer patients. We need to have more focused treatment. We need to be able to spend time with our patients. We really need to get to know their medical conditions. And that's really what value-based is. A few minutes ago, we talked about that capitative model where you get paid per member per month, whether you see them or not, and you can bill for other services. Value-based is kind of like how medicine should be. What it ends up being is that we are paid by the carriers. We accept five different carriers, uh, Medicare Advantage plans. And what we are done is we are paid on positive outcomes. If we reduce hospital sick days and if we reduce emergency room visits, and in a minute we're going to talk about why, we reduce those hospital stays and those emergency room visits. In other words, we take patients, we, we manage, detect, and help to prevent diseases, Okay, we bring them in at least Mm -hmm. monthly. 
Okay. We're bringing our members in at least monthly, but by the way, I will tell you both, we have some patients we're having to bring in on a weekly basis. Do you know why? Their diabetes is out of control. So we have to medically manage it. We're bringing them in and we're checking. Sometimes a member will come in with four or five problems and our primary care said, okay, we've got three of these that are critical. We're going to focus on these three and we're bringing you back to focus on the other two because these three are the most urgent issues that you have that we need to get under control, which will help to alleviate some of the other symptoms. But by us keeping them out of hospitals, we want to keep them happy, healthy at home. Here's the other problem, and this is going to tie into something that you both mentioned earlier, too, about resources. Do you guys know that 90% of the people that go to emergency rooms, one of the reasons why they do that is because they're going to emergency rooms because they don't have a primary care doctor, okay? So you don't have a primary care doctor. They're, They're going after hours, right? They don't have their medications being renewed, or they had an issue that they originally went to the hospital for. And when you go to a hospital, a hospital is a, is a phenomenal institution. But we all know when you go to the emergency room, hence the name emergency, you're going there to get what? To get stabilized. They're treating you. They're taking care of some of the symptoms or the immediate need. And then they are discharging you. Right, guys? Well, once they discharge you, let me ask you a question. If I had a diabetic crisis on Monday and I, I get sick and by Tuesday I'm, I'm in the emergency room and say they keep me there for a day, they admit me for hospital for a day or two and they discharge me home, but I have no doctor following up. I have nobody looking at my medication management. I have nobody coordinating with those specialists. Do you know what happens? The next week I bounce back into the emergency room. I'm not being treated. You know why I'm not being treated? I'm being treated for the emergency condition, but I'm not being stabilized. And there's no long-term care plan. And there's nobody following up with myself or specialist. So what's happening is I continuously bounce back into it. And that right there is a huge cost in hospital uh, and facilities. And so how how do you short circuit that, that dynamic? I'm glad you asked that because you know what? We do that. That's exactly what we do. Even if we have a member, like in value-based, again, our goal is to detect, maintain, and manage uh, those diseases. So what happens is we have our primary care doctor. We also have in-house cardiology, which we all know for seniors, cardiology is actually a big deal. So we coordinate with the cardiologist. Next is we have things like podiatry because, again, a yes. podiatrist, again, with diabetics, they have wound. Wound care is, is urgent. We need to make sure that we're following up. Absolutely. Laura, infections. People can lose. They can lose toes. They can lose part of their feet. They can lose part of their leg from, mm-hmm. from diabetes. As our centers grow, we bring in endocrinology because, again, that's the specialist with it. Thyroidism, right? oh, diabetes. Yeah. Absolutely. So what we're doing is we are trying to stave off any problems. Our primary care doctor is actually seeing and working with the patient. When we bring our seniors in for their first appointment, they're spending 45 to 50 minutes with the doctor directly. We like to get the medical record ahead of time. That's unheard of. Oh, I know. I, I would love to have 45 more. minutes 45 with an actual minutes. doctor, not not like tallying up. Right. The nurse aide and then the nurse and then the practitioner. 
Laura, you're exactly right. That wow. doesn't that doesn't include working with our care coordinator. That doesn't mean doing any of the checks. That's actually the time you're going to spend with our doctor. And and one thing that we love to do is, like I said, get the we like to get the medical records ahead of time. So our doctor actually has an opportunity to review your medical history. So that Laura, if you and I are sitting down and you're talking with one of our doctors, he's actually talking to you about your condition, about your current medication. He's helping to develop and tailor a plan to you specifically, because what right. you need and what Andrew need might be totally different things. Right. Absolutely. So that yeah. that's where we are a little bit unique in that. And remember what I said. And, and and Andrew, we we talked about like emergency room visits too, right? So here's the other yeah. thing. What happens if it's um, it's a Friday night, it's nine o'clock, uh, you know, in the evening, I realize I forgot my medication. I have a cardiac condition and I, I, I'm thinking, oh, no, I forgot to get a renewal of my medication. Mm. Guess what? A lot of people will panic and they'll go where? Emergency. Right back to the ER. Mercy room. Sometimes yeah. in an ambulance. Go into the cycle. Yeah. Yep. In an ambulance. You guys, you got it. See, you, here comes you both... another several thousand dollar limo ride. Right? Oh, yeah. And. And actually, I was getting some estimates the other day. I was I was told that ambulance rides in, or, or some of them are going up to twelve to fifteen hundred plus dollars or more. Uh, I think it just depends on your area. Um, as we're all talking today, you guys are you're well, you know, we're all over the the country right now. But generally, we're all supposed to be in Houston. I'm in Richmond, Virginia, and an ambulance ride here might be a thousand dollars more than it is in the Houston metro. Um, so it depends on your area and your territory. It depends on the hospital system, the ambulance. How accessible. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, and, and, and that's the other thing, Laura. I didn't even mention that. In rural Virginia and in places, there are some places where they don't – it might take 45 minutes for an ambulance to get to you. So a lot of times they have to med flight people out depending on the urgency yeah. issues. <laughs> And that's wow. about 42,000. So, but uh, now and generally, if you just need to go to the hospital, nobody's going to do that. But if you've had a car, if you've had a car accident and a wreck, you're going to find yourself in those rural areas because if it's going to take 40 minutes to get to the hospital from where you're at, they are going to med flight you, period. That, that's what they're going to yeah. do. So, another aspect of your care, I, I you guys have your own transportation, right? Where you can right. pick up. Your members and bring them in or did close I close and i'll tell you a little bit about it going back to uh, finishing up with our value-based care so we are we are paid by the carriers if we keep people happy healthy at home we basically detect and manage those diseases but i also wanted to say this last thing about value-based we're putting our money where our mouth is if that member goes to the emergency room or the hospital guess who pays that bill we do we pay the bill not the carrier. That's what. And, I and, yeah, that, that brings me into a, a kind of an interesting question of how do you, as we, a big part of our company, right, is how, how do we figure out how to measure outcomes consistently over time, right? So whenever you're working with a third party, like the insurance carriers, how are you actually quantifying and measuring these positive outcomes so that the insurance company isn't giving you all kinds of pushback and saying, well, this, how do you get out of the gray and into the black and white on that area based to, to prove the value? 
Well, and that's that it's a it's a very complicated thing, but you're you're absolutely yeah. it's a good question. Well, what happens is we we get a list of our patients. For example, uh, carriers can assign patients to us. That that's one way. We call those D to C's, you know, uh, individuals that might not have a primary care that their plan might require one. So they will pick us or several other practices and they will equitably assign members, right? So then we we get this membership list. Plus we bring in members on our own right. We have membership growth consultants that are out in the community and we bring mem- members in for a tour. And in a second, Laura, we'll talk about transportation. We bring members in, but we use we utilize like HEDIS measures where we're taking a look. This is something that carriers and facilities, and it's all part of through CMS, the Centers for Medicaid. Uh, it's basically Medicare. Okay, Mm -hmm. so when when you take a look at CMS or Medicare, they have these measures in place. So they take a look at it. Mm -hmm. You know, number one, can a member get in and can they be accessible? Are you accessible to get them in on an appointment in a timely basis? Uh, Are the members happy or satisfied with the care and support that they're getting? So they take a look at all of this. And that's what Medicare does, because, again, like with carriers, carriers get rated stars. They actually get stars rated by how good their plan is, you know, their customer service. Are they taking care of the member? What about the claims experience? So when you when you take a look at all this, these are some of the measures we have in we have internal quality control as well. So we take a look at, at our members and we, we do surveys. In fact, you know, we do surveys most of the time before the member even leaves the facility. We want to make sure before they leave out of there, have we answered their question? Have we renewed their medication? Have we explained their medication to them? Have we answered their questions on their medical condition? If they're going home with any type of additional care or follow-up, have we made that appointment for them? If they're going to a specialist, have we made that appointment for them? Have we set up their transportation? We do all of this, and we're actually doing our own internal surveys before they're even leaving us. So that in itself is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, a biggest question that a lot of people give us, okay, Jonathan, you're telling us about all these great things that, that you're doing. Do members, do they have to pay extra for this? Do they have to purchase a membership? No, that's not how this works. Medicare Advantage plans. Remember how I said that members have Medicare Advantage plans? Mm-hmm. Medicare Advantage plans, we accept five carriers, and that's Anthem Amerigroup. We accept Aetna, their HMO and their PPO, mm-hmm. uh, Medicare Advantage plans. Yeah. We are bringing Cigna online. We also have Humana, and we also have WellCare. Members are enrolled in these Medicare Advantage plans. When they get enrolled in Medicare Advantage plans, they need to select a primary care doctor, or as I mentioned, carriers will auto-assign them. So you have to have a primary care doctor, and we want to be their primary care doctor of choice. So when they come to us, like you're going to, you're seeing your PCP, you pay a $0 copay. You don't pay anything. Mm -hmm. There is no additional membership a member has to pay. I think there's a big confusion out here uh, of what's called concierge medicine. And concierge, mm-hmm. like here in Richmond Metro, uh, a couple years ago, there was a company that came out. And on top of your regular insurance, they were charging people $2,800 a year. And that meant you had you had access 24 hours to somebody at the medical center. You would get to come in and spend time with your doctor. They would do comprehensive tests. Well, guess what? We do all of that, and the member doesn't pay anything like a membership. There's no membership fee with this. This is different. 
this, we use Medicare Advantage plans. We are paid by the carriers. We bring them in to detect and manage their conditions. They are not having to pay thousands of dollars in, in a membership to be part of dedicated senior medical center. This is VIP care. They're getting the kind of treatment, honestly, that Laura and Andrew, we should get ourselves, but we don't. They're getting same day or next day appointments. If a member calls us and they're sick today, we're going to get them in. Could, could part of that be your business model of kind of capping what your workload is, right? So that well, you can give that care. That's like possible. Always you get more, but I mean, it's, it's, I, I think that's where the confusion comes in because again, we all we all mix, you know, Medicare and we mix under sixty five a lot. I, I think that's that that's the trick. Um, mm. To my knowledge, you know, when you when you see concierge medicine, we 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 call ours VIP care. So again, our seniors are getting honored and they're getting respected. They're getting the care. They're getting the access they need, regardless of where they live. And we go in as I, I will tell you in the beginning. We go into the areas where you have the neediest populations. But you know, bottom line is we help all seniors. I mean, that's what mm. we'll do. We'll we'll help everybody. But the thing is, we're also going in specifically helping underserved. We've had a lot of homeless veterans come into our medical centers. Um, I personally, uh, I, I will tell you guys, and I'm going to tell you a couple quick stories, and not to not to, to burn time, but I want to just tell you where our heart is, so that you guys can understand us a little bit too. We've had individuals come in that have social, what they call everybody throws this word out, social determinants. Well, these are basically roadblocks to care. Somebody might might need housing. Somebody might be homeless. Somebody might not have access to medicine. They might not have the money to pay for it. They might have. Uh, they might live in unsafe conditions. They might live in terrible conditions, and they might not have transportation, Laura. And what we do is we try to help with these social determinants. We remove the barriers because when if I'm coming in to see you, a dedicated senior, and and I'm more concerned about where I'm living. I'm not worried about my health care. It's only one of many things I have to worry about. If right. I'm not eating, Laura, and I come in and I'm not eating, eating is my, my biggest priority. So we've had individuals come in and you know what we've done? We've packed up groceries and we sent them home with it. I've had my team come to me and said, Jonathan, my patient, I know they're not eating. Can I go get them breakfast and pay for it? And you know what I tell them? Absolutely. I have taken several patients to the pharmacy and they told me that they couldn't afford their medicine. So you know what I did is I pulled out my own personal card and I paid for it. Now, by the way, I didn't have the corporate card because I could have put it that I could have put that on the corporate card, but I paid for it out of my own. And I'll tell you guys why, because I'm not going to let a $30 copay prevent somebody from taking a medication that they need. That's going to keep them from stabilized being and maintained. And exactly. Able to face tomorrow. Exactly. And the other thing that I love, um, one of my one of my doctors that I worked with, I love all my doctors. The doctors, the men and women I work with, I don't call them Dr. Goldenberg. I call I, I call him. He's my friend. I call him Amir. Yeah. You know, I Harsh Patel, our cardiologist. I, I come on up. I call him first name. We, we, we all like hug each other a lot of times during the day. That, and that was unusual too, right? When right. I, the, uh, this 
you guys are friends. There's yeah. respect of everyone's roles, but at the end of the day, you guys are all in the same trenches together with the same mission. And when you talk about uh, you all love and respect your seniors, I've yeah. never seen so many uh, smiles on your staff, right? Like physicians who are kind of dancing and doing a jig and excited about what they do there. I mean, the whole... Uh, environment was very upbeat and the stories of I guess you guys have events for your seniors we, that, we do we do dances for seniors we yes, do the, I, I didn't make up that I heard that I was like you do dances with your seniors I I, I thought I heard that no you you're right we do dances Who we do we that? do we do. Uh, we actually we have coloring classes coming up. As a matter of fact, painting classes. Um, we're getting ready to do exercise classes. Uh, now, granted, I will tell you all, COVID kind of had put a lot of those things a little bit on hold. But we're doing everything safely. We're, we're adhering to social distancing. We're making sure our centers, by the way, are not cleaned in the morning and at the day. They're cleaned twenty. They're they're pretty much clean throughout the entire day constantly. So our centers are always clean. We always adhere to regulations, but we're doing all these great classes for individuals. We do Medicare 101s for them. Uh, we did a senior ball, which was fantastic. We did a senior cookout, which was just wonderful. And, and the only thing is, and I'm just going to, I'm going to throw one little gripe out there. And, and Laura, you probably saw this. You and I were talking, I run hypoglycemic. And uh, I have a real tendency not to eat throughout the day like I need to. And, and, and Amir and a couple of the other doctors have been on me about that. Sometimes they'll come up and give me a glass of orange juice and said, OK, Jonathan, go, keep going. Do you not crash? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But we like at our, our grand openings, we do food trucks. But you know what we started doing? I want you both to know we started doing like food truck Fridays at our centers. So when the members are coming in, they can go out there. If they bring members, if they bring prospective members with them, they get free food. And every time I've gone out to the food trucks, we've had so many seniors come out. I have yet to try and sample anything from any of the food trucks. I, uh, yeah, the other you day, didn't that day either. <laughs> I didn't either, right? And I know you were laughing at me. And I, I was looking at Laura and I was saying, Andrew, I was looking at Laura and said, you know, I'm going to get something to that food truck just once. Today, I'm going to make it happen. And it didn't happen. Because I'll go get in line. You better hurry up. You want me to go get it for you? <laughs> and, and, and I should have had her go. But you know what I did, guys? Three or four seniors came up. Each time this has happened to me, they came up and I stepped out of line so they could take my place. And I wanted to make sure that they got food because you want to know something. Um, I am I, I do very well. I, 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 I can go to the grocery store. I can pay for my co-pays. All of us on this call, we can do that. Right. right. We, we can do those things. But yeah. for a lot of our seniors, they can't. So, you know, something I stepped out of the way so that they could get food and I made sure that they were fed. And it was something my boss had told me. She said, have you ever gotten to say, I said, you know, I, her name is Christy, Christy Glover. And you got to meet her, I think. And I, I told Christy, I said, you know, as long as our seniors get to eat, everybody's happy. I said, I'm just looking forward to that when the day's over, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find a restaurant. I'm going to eat what I want to. <laughs> you know? So uh, I'm proud of it, you know, I, but Guys, I, I just wanted to share with you, people ask us all the time, they said, Jonathan, there's other value-based models. Well, we're, the, we're one of the original. A lot of people have copied us. And here's the other thing, too. 
I dare people. I, I, I dare them to, to go to another place and see members and, and staff members who are actually putting money out of their own pocket or using the corporate card to buy them stuff. Every time those expenses come to me, I approve them. I never question them because I, I've had we, we've taken members to the grocery store and we bought them groceries. We've had people come in that were homeless and, and I've worked with the doctors. We have to figure out a way because the food they take, they may not have access to boiling water. They may not have access. They don't have access to a microwave or a stove. So we're coming up with ideas and food that they can take with them out there in the heat. That's not going to spoil. Right. And I'll, I'll share one thing with you. Um, I brought, I brought my son out uh, to, to spend some time with me. And he helped me pack uh, over a hundred grocery bags to give out to to our seniors. And he and I went to Costco, and I took pictures. And I put on social media. We're buying like you know like pallets of peanut butter and jelly and all wow. this stuff, right? And uh, which, by the way, I still haven't submitted that bill for reimbursement. It just I, I did it myself because I because you have the Costco card. Yeah. I have the Costco card. You have the Costco right? card. <laughs> and so I, but I, I, I was showing my son, I was showing him something and he helped me pack all this and we were taking pictures later that day. What I will share with both of you, we were going by and we'd actually added loaves of bread to the, um, to the groceries. Right. And my son said, dad, dad, look, there's, and he, he's like, he's like 16 years old. So he was all excitable. And he's like, dad, dad, look at that. And there's a loaf of bread underneath a bridge about 120 yards from one of our medical centers on Gulf Freeway. And it was one of the loaves of bread that we'd given out earlier today. So I stopped my car, I got on out and I went and checked and it was one of the, it was one of the homeless veterans that had come in to see us. So I spent some time, talked with him, made sure he had everything and told him, come back and get more, whatever you need, you need more groceries, whatever, come see us. And, and I think that it was at that moment that my son got it. I mean, he understood the community service, but not until he saw that. And then I stepped in the car and I told him, you need to understand and, and be appreciative of what we have. I said, dad works hard to make sure you have what you need. And I said, not everybody has that. And not everybody has the life that they need. I tell my team, Laura, I may have told you this. And if I did, I apologize. But Andrew, I will tell you, I told my team, one time somebody said, Jonathan, I don't know how people can get in this situation. And I, I literally gathered the entire team together and I said, let me explain something to you guys and let me make sure you hear me. I said, we are all of us, every one of us. You are one health crisis. You are one financial disaster. You are one job layoff. You are one terminal illness. You are one series of life events away from being where the individuals are. I said, some of these, I said, some of our seniors work their whole life and they get to retirement and they cannot survive. Yeah. Yeah. They can't do it. They can't do it. So we are helping with everything that we can, because you know, something that $30 copay may be nothing to all of us. That's the difference between them eating. So that's why we, we, we look at this and, and their plan determines what their copay is. Sometimes they may have a $0 copay, guys. Sometimes it may be 15. Sometimes it may be 30, depending on the medication. We make sure the medication gets to their door. But you know something? The members do have to pay through for their medication. That, that's a fact. So I, I just, to kind of give you an idea, it's all, it, it's all, there's so many parts of it. 
And as we get into Houston, and some of the questions people are asking us, are we doing outreach? We're working with so many food banks right now. Uh, we're trying to work with food banks, and we're also trying to make connections in Houston. So I'm going to throw out to both of you, if there's somebody we should be working with that we aren't, please let me know. I will reach out to them personally. Well, when you get back to Houston, um, I'd love it if we could talk. Uh, there's an organization in Houston called Star of Hope, and they uh, have every homeless person counted. Um, they have people that go out daily to make sure everyone is doing okay. Um, they uh, have programs where you have like halfway houses, right? Where someone can shower, they can sleep, they can get cleaned up, right? They've got all the toiletries if they're trying to get a job somewhere. Um, I don't know what they do on the senior side, right? But I think that'd yeah. be fun to have a conversation with them to see how, how that gap can be bridged, right? I, I agree. And, and thank you so much for mentioning that, because I, I, I will again, I, I will stress we're new to Houston. We're not new to this industry, but we're new to right. Houston. So anything that you can recommend or if listeners reach out and say, hey, you know, dedicated seniors should be talking to this group, this organization. Uh, it, it's kind of hard. You can go through the Internet. You can go through it. You can talk to people. And we have a community cultural specialist. And she's making inroads with the with the food banks and other communities. But, you know, something Houston is large and, and odds are we're going to miss something. So I'm going to tell you right now, if you have a su suggestion or recommendation, I'll be back in Houston on Tuesday. I, I would love to, to sit down and talk to you about it. Yeah, let's do, let's do that next week and find a time. Um, I'd, I'd love to introduce you to a couple of people that that work in that area. Right. Just to it's, it's hard. It's a huge city. Right. So who's yeah. who in the zoo? Yeah. Yeah. I would love to. I have a, I was curious about, you know, being primarily um, working directly with like Medicare, Medicaid, uh, the Advantage plans. Yeah. What, what, what kind of, with all the, because there's a lot of criticism that comes from all around about those plans and what the future is going to look like um, for that, for that system. What kind of things are y'all looking at from a, from a future standpoint that you're preparing for now um, to make sure that you can continue to provide the high level of care that you're giving currently? Well, going back to um, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, CMS is actually kind of pushing, just so you both know, they're actually pushing Medicare Advantage plans. And there's a reason for it because mm -hmm. um, when you have a, when a member turns 65, when you, when you age into Medicare, I mean, you, again, if you've worked 10 years and 40 quarters, you can actually get Part A, and then you have to purchase Part B. And Part A and Part B covers 80%. But original Medicare has, it, it, think of it as a group plan. And, and we're all used to, like, maximum amount of pockets. But the thing with Medicare, it's an 80-20 plan. That 20%, though, is not capped. It's to infinity. Mm. So you need to have a Medicare supplement behind it to pay that 20% or a Medicare Advantage plan. Now, the difference is original Medicare is administered by, by CMS, but when it comes to Medicare Advantage, it's administered by a private health insurance company. And what they do is they take over the responsibility. Medicare pays them per member per year to actually take care of their – and it's not a ton of money. Mm. 
uh, you know, depending on the, the, what, what it's set by CMS. And I, I don't know, it's yeah. seven to $8,000 that they get per member. But what mm-hmm. happens is that they also add additional benefits. They'll add vision benefits and hearing benefits and dental. It's all basically embedded into the plan. So Medicare Advantage seems to be the direction that, that CMS is wanting everybody to go in. So, but answer to your question, we, because we work with the carriers, you know, the Medicare Advantage plan and that space seems to be growing mm-hmm. and expanding. They're actually enriching the plans and benefits. But every year, what I, what I, one of the things I do recently, I've been going to the carriers. I've been actually sitting through the classes on the uh, plan changes for 2022 for each one of the carriers that we have. And I'm taking a look mm-hmm. at it and I have information on it as well. But if a member comes in, and, and this is what we hit a lot of times, we'll have members come in that are on Medicare. Medicare Advantage plans, but sometimes they'll come in and they're not. We come in, they'll come into us and we'll find out that they're Medicaid only, but you know something? They qualify for both. So we work locally with brokers and agents. We can reach out to a broker and agent. They can sit down with that member and they can show them. And sometimes, Andrew, that they come in and they're on, on Medicaid only. They also qualify for Medicare and then they can get a dual eligible plan where they're not going to have to pay anything out of pocket. So they're going to get all these services. They're going to get their medications covered. They're going to get um, the hearing and dental. They're going to get a lot of this because they're eligible for both. What Medicare, the, the dual eligible special needs plans the carriers give them, covers the Medicare part. And then there's the Medicaid part where the carriers administer as well. And generally what you're going to find is Medicaid will cover what Medicare doesn't. So these individuals will find themselves generally with no money out of pocket. But again, like I said, it depends on the level of where they qualify. So by working with local brokers and agents, we can put them in touch and they can find out all these programs or plans that are available to them that cover all these benefits. Now, I got to tell you, when you take a look at some of these plans, like for the dual eligible, they're impressive. I mean, they have really in the past 24 months, um, some of the carriers have added up to $4,000 to $4,600 in dental benefits which to me just unheard of it's unheard of and for all of us here on this call uh you're not going to have that much benefits on your dental plan i I assure you never never so the between the two agencies what you're finding out is that a lot of these benefits are getting enhanced so i think the direction is medicare advantage is here to stay for a very long time that that would be my assessment of it Mm. so you do business development Um, and the growth, right? So, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, on the one hand, um, people get referred to you, right? But are you also doing outreach to scoop up people who may not know about your existence? I mean, you're new new to Houston. You're a new kid on the block. How how are these people going to find out about you? We have membership growth consultants. We call them, uh, our acronym is MGC. Our MGCs are fantastic. They're not licensed insurance agents, just so that you know. These are individuals that we hire with with the purpose that they're going to go out into the community. They're going to do expos. They're going to do health fairs. They're going to do uh, events at community centers. Um, They're going to do canvassing of neighborhoods. They'll go into senior apartment communities and they'll set up events. And what we do is we bring those members in and our, our membership growth consultants will actually take them on a tour, walk them through, show them all the benefits that we have. 
Like, for example, we all know that, again, that our doctors are the ones that are going to be able to see you. Well, guess what? We also have transportation to and from their door. We do transportation. So if they don't have transportation or whether their plan pays for it or not, guys, guess what we do? We're going to provide the transportation for them. Yeah. Um, the other thing is in-house x-rays and labs. If, if Andrew, today you, you got injured and just say you broke your arm and you went to your primary care, he would have to send you to an outpatient center to get the x-ray, right? Yep. And you say that they needed some labs yep. at the same time. You'd have to be getting labs outpatient as well. Well, guess what? We have in-house x-rays and in-house labs. Yep. So when our members come in, we're not sending them down the street to another lab where they have to get another appointment yeah. to do that. We're doing it all in-house. So these are the things that we're showing them as we go through. All of our members get a standard EKG and they get an echo. We have an echo tech. Mm -hmm. So remember, we have in-house cardiology. Well, every member also gets a digital card. We check in. When you come into our medical centers, we don't have a waiting room. They're called welcoming centers because we digitally check them in and less than 15 minutes they cannot be sitting out there longer than 15 minutes. We bring them right back to see their doctor. We're already expecting wow. And it's true. You're, well, I wouldn't call it a waiting room. It looked like a lobby to me, right? Yeah. With the plush cush chairs. I mean, right? It was exactly. And it was, we're going to have a nice movie here. <laughs> it's nice, like, nice TVs, the nice, nice couches, fitting areas. Um, yeah. That ain't no waiting room. Nope. Laura, we have seniors from the local apartment communities that will come in and they'll congregate actually, uh, they'll actually congregate in our welcome center and they'll play games and they'll bring friends and things in. It's, it's amazing. You would be surprised. Yeah, they don't have doctor's visits that day. They'll just come on in and we do events. So remember what I was saying? We're doing the painting classes and, I and love we're doing... That. We're doing, we were doing mass decorating. Um, we did, uh, oh, wow, we did Hispanic Heritage Festival last week. So we were actually, the, the staff was making food and bringing it in. Then we had food trucks and we had decorations. Now, I have asked for a Day of the Dead you know, ceremony or celebration. Right. I, don't, I don't know if we're going to do it, <laughs> but the Dias de los Muertos, and, and hopefully I didn't slaughter that. But uh, I, the Day of the Dead, I had a chance to see it down in Mexico. So for me... If we could do that at one of our centers, that would be fantastic. That would be really cool. Wow. It would yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, one thing I really admire about pretty much coming back to the core principle of what y'all embody, which aligns a lot with how we um, treat our clients as well, is you're, you're bringing humanity, you're bringing humanity back into care. You're, you're having fun with your patients and your clients. People are like, Oh, I think I am I no, still there? I thought I froze. Oh, you're with us. No, you're fine. Um, but yeah, pe people are you're having fun with them. Like, what is at the end of the day, we're all living, going through this life, and and I, and I love that shit that's comes up, and we got to figure out how to deal with it. And you want to you want to be with people who are gonna have fun with you, who's gonna show you that you know life is it's a lot better than just being sick, you know. It, well, and, is uh, it humanity a probably a really huge aspect of of healthcare, right? If I show you I care about you and I want to have a conversation with you and let's talk, you feel like you're bonding with me. All of a sudden, your anxiety levels come way down, right? When you think yeah. about the chemical cascade of the brain, right? Fight or flight, or I'm safe. 
right? And that's exactly. a huge aspect. And we're similar, like in our office. Um, our clients never want to leave. Um, they hang out and then they make friends with each other. And I don't know how many phone numbers have been exchanged in our <laughs> office, right? But that's what you yeah. want, that sense of community. Um, that's huge. It is. And, and you guys have the formula for it. And, and a lot of people don't realize that, that humanity has been taken out of healthcare, And because it's been taken out of it, um, I don't want to go to a facility where nobody knows me. They don't know my conditions. And quite honestly, they're so busy, they don't care. And when, when our seniors come in the door, we know their names and we greet mm-hmm. them. We do huddles in the morning where we talk about that patient coming in so that they know and we welcome them. Every time a clinical staff member walks by a patient, they might be getting a test. They basically stop to see how they're doing. It doesn't matter. We, <clears throat> we're trying to put this, this, this human touch back into it. And just the same thing that you're both doing, because I'm, I'm telling you right now, we're not under 65. This model would work for under 65. I hope someday we have that opportunity to extend it on out. Or or even take it in, in, yeah, the under 65, but think about from the teenage to up to 30, mm-hmm. right? People in their 20s, they're typically the ones who are healthiest, right? Exactly. Or rebound quickly from sickness and, and injury. But So they tend to not purchase insurance on their own, which it seems like you could create a, a different type of focused care for you know, we were talking about this the other day. Um, You guys work a lot to help individuals that have injuries that are trying to recover stuff. Well, let me just put this to you. I just simple care. I I had a neck fracture a few years ago and most, most people would have told me to have surgery. In fact, I had a recommendation. I had a C5, C6. Uh, I had like a crack in the vertebrae. And I was told that, that, you know, well, that's something that you probably need to have a spinal fusion, which do not go well. We all know this, right? You don't go well. So you know what I decided to do? I decided to do alternative therapy. I decided to do, do chiropractic, massage therapy, physical therapy. And you want to know something? To this day, I can still turn and move my neck. I'm not uh, most of my friends or people and patients I've met that had similar injuries are completely incapacitated. Yep. Now I'm not saying my neck doesn't hurt. It hurt to turn it, but I got to be honest, I can move it. So it's, it's these things that if we could get the right care, if we could take a look at alternatives, uh, medication, a pill doesn't always fix something. You know, this is what I'm telling people. You gotta, you gotta look at we, we in our centers we use acupuncture, and and people are like Jonathan, why do you guys use use acupuncture? Well, our founders are Asian, but acupuncture is also used as an alternative to pain meds. See, mm-hmm. and people are like, are you sure? I'm like, absolutely, it is, because <clears throat> I've had acupuncture for pain. So, it's similar to acupuncture, but a little bit different is we can do dry needling in our office. Outstanding. Right? Which, same concept. How do we get your body to kind of heal itself? Right? And that's wonderful. We'll see. But but, uh, but acupuncture, of course, that fits in with your model. Well, and and Laura, to to your point, 
the, the thing is, is that we, we need to all have a holistic approach. We really got to take a look at, at, at taking a look at, at our bodies and, and doing things for individuals younger. If we could get to the 30 year olds who had the injuries and start working with them now, by the time they're seniors, they're not going to be totally incapacitated or debilitated. We spend a lot of time helping our seniors and they have injuries that haven't been treated for years. So it, it's a, it's oh, a, yeah process. Uh, I'm not going to, I would never lie to you. It's not, it's a, I'm proud of one of our patients from day one, he came in, he was in a wheelchair. Now he comes into us on a walker, but it took months. It took months. We got him better and well to where he can be on a walker and he's independent. How do you all stay so upbeat? These things I would probably go home crying looking at people who are I mean, there's got to be days you guys are like, whoa, that was hard. There, there's yeah. days, Laura. I, and, you know, I, I will tell Laura and Andrew, I will tell you there, there are days. There are some days that I walk outside, I take a deep breath and I said, wow, you know, did I, did I make a difference today? Did I, did I do anything that was worthwhile? And I, you know, I, I'll question it and everything else. But then I will see the patients coming in for the next day. Or I will see the, you know, we'll sit down and talk about the patient who was in a wheelchair that we helped. Or we'll talk about the patient who didn't have any food and we help to, you know, get them in touch with a food bank where they have monthly, where they have monthly deliveries, where they're getting food on a regular basis, where they can actually improve their life. Or a senior will come up to me and will know my name and will hug me and will just thank you, thank me profusely. So those those are the the days worth living for. But I will never tell you that there's just some days that we have patients that will come in that we can help and they won't let us help them. They won't let us help them. Stubborn, stubborn, yeah. stubborn. And, and you know something, we're, we're trying everything. We're, we're, we're talking to them and we're trying different approaches. Can you guys, have you ever had somebody come into you that felt so bad that they just didn't believe that they could feel better? Yep. Mm-hmm. I bet you see that all the time, don't you? Yeah. And you yeah. want to know something? I, I get it. Imagine feeling just so bad all the time that you do not believe in your mind that it will ever be any better than it is today. It is. It can be, but you don't believe it. And that's what you have to overcome. Yeah. You have to overcome those mental barriers. And that's what we, we struggle with. And so. But I think but I think you have a model after seeing what I saw that helps uh, peel away some of those layers of armor that people have built up, right? Because they've been either ignored or not cared for properly or addressed properly, that you get some thick scar tissue, right? You get an attitude, you kind of get a chip on your shoulder. Absolutely. Um, But the, just the the environment that you foster there uh, was incredible. And I appreciate mm-hmm. it. And that's why I was so glad that I had the opportunity to meet you. And that's kind of what brings us all together today, because, you know, we're all out here trying to make a difference in people's lives. So we should all be working together. Um, oh, we yeah. all have resources. I'm glad to share any of our connections with you. And and Laura, you sent me some some things where you can put me in touch with some different organizations. Yeah. And same thing, anything that we can help each other with to make a difference in people's lives. That's it. Strength in numbers. Strength right? in numbers. Absolutely. Yeah. 
it doesn't extend to just seniors on us. Well, you know something? We want to help everybody. Yeah. That's the bottom line. I mean, yeah. I want to help everybody. Um, I happen to focus yeah. on seniors, but you know something? Those seniors have family members. They have kids, everything else. Whomever we can help is what we want. They that may is. also and be think, underserved. Yep. Yep. And that's beautiful. I mean, the one of the main reasons that Laura and I started this podcast called Healing Healthcare is because it's all about bringing people together. Instead of having we have we have division everywhere else. I mean, if you want division, you can go find it. Yeah. Um, but when we can start to have these collective conversations from people on all sides of the aisles in healthcare, yes. um, like you said, bring in acupuncture into, into the clinics. I mean, that could be controversial in some, some instances, but you're finding relief for it. And it's just, how do we integrate it all together? Because when people are getting better, you know, like if acupuncture is getting people better, it wouldn't be a thing. You wouldn't use it if it didn't work. So you're finding, you're finding results with it and other people find results with something completely different, but we need to talk about it and we need to, everyone to know where we're at together. It should be a fun and, conversation uh, as well. I mean, cause we get yeah. people, they absolutely, they don't want to take medicine. They don't want to yeah. take a pain pill. They, or they can't because their kidney is compromised or whatever. They don't have a spleen. So they don't want to take, pain meds. Well, if we have other means of reducing your pain and it's effective, then why not? Well, I agree with you. Yep. And, and it's the same thing with going back to, to my neck injury. I had a friend of mine who worked in county government in Richmond and uh, she literally had almost an identical injury. She ended up having the spinal fusion. She ended up taking pain medication. She became debilitated as a result. I chose alternatives. I, I, I feel like that I, I want my body to try to heal itself. I, I want to not just take a medication for the rest of my life because I'm going to develop a tolerance to it very quickly yeah. and it's not going to do anything for me. Um, to this day, I'm proud. I, you know, I might take one or two ibuprofen a month at most. And, and that's saying something, right? I mean, that, that's, that's fun. <laughs> But uh, that's why I'm going to come out and see you guys. We, we've all, yeah. I want to I want to see everything you're doing. I want to see the entire operation. I I just I want to come in. I, I I can't wait. And you know something? I want I want to tell everybody about you, and I want you to tell others about us. Let's well, we are today. for sure going to direct people your way. That's I I, I love the mission. Well, I appreciate that. And you know something? I love the fact that you guys are making a difference. And you want to know something? Here you are. And, and Andrew, I, you know, you just said a moment ago about trying to have a conversation. You're right. You are both right. We need to have this conversation. Medical people need to come together. Political leaders need to come together. We all need to come together. Because here's the thing. If we just, I tell my team each day, they're like, okay, we've got all these problems. You know what I'm saying? Let's solve one problem a day. Let's work on yeah. one thing at a time. Yeah. And, you know, people are looking at this like, Jonathan, I mean, there's so many things I'm trying to develop to try to bring seniors in. You know, and I told him, I said, you guys are overthinking this. If we can, if each person in my center can bring in one senior a day and show them what we have to offer, you're going to make a difference. Even if they don't join us and they don't think we're right, they're going to tell somebody else one senior a day. That's all I need you to do. And people always overthink it. 
a lot of the problems out here, we've got so many of them. They're like background clutter. We can't even see them anymore. Yep. So I said, then what we need to do is step back, tune in on one thing, focus on it. Let's all solve it, make a difference, and then go to the next thing. And, you know, by, by the time our lives are over, we will have made, you know, like such great achievements. But I think that's the problem. If you watch television and media and you listen to it, all I see are people arguing. I don't see anybody offering any solutions. I see a lot of people arguing. Yeah. I would rather come to you guys and say, Let, let's talk about solutions. Here's the problem. Let's have that honest conversation, but here's some solutions. What can we right. do? Exactly. Yeah. And the easy thing is to say, well, we can't do that because of this or this or this. Okay. Well, how do we think outside those boxes? Right. Exactly. What's a way where we can make a sliver of difference? One sliver at a time. Right. Well, and, and you two have done it. I mean, let's think it. You guys are partners you're putting together this wonderful company and, and in your spare time, you're putting together a podcast where, where all these different groups of people can come together and discuss what's going on and have open, honest conversations. I can have more of an honest conversation with you guys than I can go into some political office and, and talk to them mm -hmm. because please understand I have spent my time uh, not in Houston yet, but, but in Virginia going Virginia. to the general assembly, talking to our assemblymen. Uh, I've gone to, uh, I've actually gone to Capitol Hill to speak and present. Mm -hmm. I've had the opportunity to talk to as many congressmen and senators as you can imagine. Anyone that knows something, you know what I usually find a lot of disinterest, a lot of disinterest. Yep. That's unfortunate. Yep. So I will tell you both that you are making more of a difference than you know. Well, it would be fun to do this again down the line and bring on some politicians as well as, you know, administrators for insurance. Right. Oh, absolutely. It, we, we can bring you like your model because your physicians care for your members. Right. I yeah. think a lot of times people think the doctor is caring for you. They're not. They're only prescribing and doing what insurance will allow. Exactly. Um, your model is a tiny bit different, but I'm willing to bet there's plenty of red tape and barriers and issues and lines you don't cross. There, there is, is anything, but we have to operate within the guidelines of Medicare and like going to transportation. Right. Generally, uh, transportation has a limit through Medicare. They want you to keep it within a um, 10 to 11 mile radius or so. Um, <laughs> we make a little bit of an allowance. We, we kind of go 14, 15 miles outside of each center. So, Because okay, you, you've seen Houston, right? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Spread <laughs> out. <laughs> well, we, we, made, we made exceptions. I'll probably get in trouble. No, I won't get in trouble for this. No. We, <laughs> no. we made exceptions. We, we've gone 30 miles out and brought people or more in. So I pay for it. I, I mean, I... My boss and I, Christy and I, will approve it. We don't care. I, I just go to Christy and I said, look, I need to bring this prospective member in for this, this, and this. And, and she'll look at me and she said, yeah, we'll probably get in trouble, but let's do it anyway. That's why I love her. She's incredible. There we go. Love just it. beg forgiveness, right? Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, we're making people healthier. Main, right? It goes back to your, your pillars. Detect, maintain, and then manage. Exactly. Right? Because it, you cost more for the system if we don't achieve balance in your life. Exactly. So it, yeah, go drive 30 yeah. miles. It's, well, and, and it goes back to what I was saying about the medication. <laughs> Imagine somebody not taking their medication because they can't do a $30 copay. Well, right. the thing of the matter is we don't control that. But you know what we can control? 
If we can pay for it where we can, we do that. That's where we can control it. Yeah. That's where we choose to make one little decision a day that's going to impact that person's life, but that person's impacting others. So the way I look at yeah. it, it's a cascade effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it yeah. is. That's the more the people that are healthy, the better society will, will be. All everyone will be happier you know, we too. Lift each other and up. you're doing all these events to keep exactly. the mood positive and happy. Well, and active, but you know, one day let's, the last thing I'll say for us at the end of the day, um, we're all one day, the three of us, we're, we're going to be seniors and we're still going to have the same emotions, wants, desire. We're going to have a lot of things that are the same as we have today. And, but the only difference is society is going to treat us differently uh, because we are a very youth oriented culture. So I, mm-hmm. I sometimes when when I look at things, people are like, "Oh, you're too you're too old to understand." Wow, I'm too old to understand. That, that's kind of harsh, yeah. but you know something that is it, yeah. it is. But we're all going to be there, and so I, yeah. I just I tell everybody just because I mean, you know, as I as I'm pushing up to fifty, I don't feel like I'm fifty. I still run too, Laura. I probably not as fast as you did. I tore my Achilles tendon, but uh, I, um, oh. yeah, Dude. I was told I would never walk again either. By the way, I, I'm sorry. I would never walk normally, and I would never run again. Proud to yeah, say, you seem to walk pretty fine by me when I met you. So the, do- the doctors told me that, and I told my doctor, uh, my orthopedist. I said, not only will I, I said, I'm going to walk within 14 days. Uh, without crutches, I told him within six months I'd be running again. He said, Jonathan, you'll be lucky if you ever walk normally. And he said, you will never run. I was walking without crutches within nine days. And within six months, I was running. Within 12 months, I was about back up to full speed. Awesome. So <clears throat> I will tell you. Now that's a different thing too, right? That, yeah. That's another huge difference between experiences that dedicated senior provides, right? It's about the hope, the positivity, uh, upbeat. It's a can-do spirit, not a can-don't. Exactly. And and that's why when I walk normally, you're not going to be able to turn your head if you don't, if we don't fuse those vertebrae, right? Exactly. This is gloom and doom instead of, heck yeah, let's get you running. Some people don't walk the same, but let's see what we can do. I mean, that's kind of what you guys do. It's like, let's give it a shot. Well, exactly. Well, you guys know this. How many times people say, okay, well, you know, I've been told this, that I'm not going to be able to do this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're told that and you believe it, then, you know, you probably won't do it, right? Yeah. I mean, and our seniors, going back to what I was saying, most of them feel so bad all the time. What we're trying to do is, is let them know that you can feel better. What if we managed your medication and your condition to where you could actually feel better? What if we got you on a lower dose of the right medication? What if you didn't need to be on a medication that was causing you the problems? See, you got to look at all of this. But that's what you're also doing, right? You have a 45-minute, 50-minute session with your physician who's looking at all the medications. Um, I had a guy who came into our place and recently – And I'll ask people, you know, are you on medications? Give me a list. And it was like this scroll opening of (laughs) all these. And I'm looking at these. I'm like, you can't take this with this, right? These contraindications. 
And so if you have someone who can gather up all that information and, and go through it, my gosh, how can you not make people feel better? Right. It, because that allows you to go, look, I think we can get you feeling better. This. Well, and, and right Lori, you, right hit, you hit something for us. We, we had the same thing recently. We had a patient coming in that so many of the medicines were working against each other mm-hmm. that, that we really kind of equated. This is really what's making the patient ill. So what we decided, uh, you know, our doctor looked at it and said, OK, I need to take you off this, this and this. And then I'm going to taper these down. And eventually that patient got off of almost all their medications, but like one or two. And guess what? All their signs and symptoms. Wow. One away. Gone. Totally gone. It was, see, this is where medical management comes in. Mm-hmm. We need to look at those medications. I mean, you hit it. You both it. We've got to look at these medications. Shame on you, Jonathan. You just revealed something. Oh, yeah. Better living through big pharma. Big pharma. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, you know, we, we could do, you said a podcast on transplant. We could do a podcast on big pharma. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I intend to. I'll probably uh, get myself yeah. in trouble for that one, but I, I've got my. Well, yeah, maybe we, we'll blur you out and we'll. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, uh, dark, your dark voice. voice into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll put a baseball cap on him. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> An undisclosed location. <laughs> You know, anonymous it, at the bottom. It, no, it really is, and, and medication is one of those things too. That uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, like I said, it goes back to us, you know, paying for it out of pocket for some of our members just because they they're not able to do it. But you know, I, I will tell you guys, uh, I I don't mind giving a shout out to it. You know, I, it's just like GoodRx and and other drug discount programs. Thank God for them because. Yep. Um, there was a there was a time my my brother he needed a medicine that was for pulmonary hypertension and going back to transplant pulmonary hypertension can destroy your lungs and it can destroy your heart do you know how many young people have had pulmonary hypertension i saw this when i was working uh with lifenet health that actually had uh you know pulmonary hypertension nobody did an echo a $500 test which would have detected that and by the time they discovered it, their their lungs were destroyed. And so it's hard to do a single lung transplant. So a lot of times they have to do a heart and lung because the heart's been damaged. Because if the lungs go down, it damages the heart. The heart goes down, it damages the lungs. Right. It's kind of very... Well, they very sit connected. right next to each other. So. Well, exactly. So connected. So what happens is that pulmonary hypertension, uh, my, my brother's plan didn't cover it. It was going to be, I think, about $1,300 was the cost. But through GoodRx, he was able to get it for like a hundred some dollars a month. Isn't that amazing? Wow. So, you know what? Maybe we should have like those guys on, right? You and, should. If I can make a recommendation, I would. Uh, I think that's a great idea because they're a disruptor too, right? And I, I like these positive changes. Um, this is a complex issue, but... Uh, Kind of going to, but a lot of times I think physicians, if they see a patient, perhaps if they're older, they know they're not going to eat better. It's a waste of my time. The guy can't hear. I'm going to tell him instructions. He's not going to understand it anyway. I'll just write a pill. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely At least right. I can keep you alive, right? Well, and, and there's another there's another side to, Laura, you said it, com- complexity. When you guys see commercials, 
all of us, say we were all having just lunch right now and we had a television on, there'd probably be about three or four pharmaceutical commercials, right? Showing you the latest and greatest drug. But I, I need to point something out. The problem is that medication you're seeing is the most expensive medication at the time right now. Right. It's new. It's just come out. What if I told you that there's on average, there's one or two more drugs out there in that class that could do exactly what that medication does for significantly cheaper or could be generic. And so that's why I tell people about like Medicare drug plans. Medicare requires that every drug class, that every plan has to offer at least two drugs in every single drug classification. But the problem is a lot of people are like, well, my medication's new and it's not being covered by that drug plan. Guys, that that cost of that drug plan, that that drug rather, that drug might cost um, $1,300 to $2,000. Mm-hmm. That drug plan you're paying for it might be costing you $30 a month. That drug plan is already mm-hmm. upside down. It's already upside down for that one medication. Yeah. And so the yeah. problem is I tell people you wow. need to you need to understand – that there's a medication that might do it that might cost you a five or seven dollar copay that will manage it. But see, the problem is they're getting bombarded by commercials saying, though, this drug is better. Not necessarily. The point is that a lot of times what a lot of doctors have told me is that members are coming in asking for these medications and they they get tired of arguing with them. So they'll just write it out as a prescription. And the ads say, ask your doctor if this is right for you. And that's exactly what they do. Almost every doctor, I, I'm going to I'm going to put this aside from uh, dedicated because I haven't asked my docs at dedicated, but I have a lot of friends that are doctors, and I've always asked them, "Do you approve uh, pharmaceutical uh, companies doing commercials?" And they will all tell you no. They will all tell you that they don't like it mm. because they feel like it's them second guessing their decisions. Uh, right care plan, and people are coming in, and somebody's like, "Well, I don't want this generic. I want this new medication." Well, that new medication, all of a sudden, they get sticker shock when they go to the pharmacy and they find out that they owe two hundred dollars on it. Yeah, you or know? more, or more, yeah. or they get these. They get a they get a coupon from the pharmaceutical company that will take them for six months and then it expires. Right. So yeah. then, guess what? Then you're going to find yourself filing the cost. So. I will tell you guys, and and by the way, views expressed are Jonathan Lowe's, not those of Dedicated Senior Medical Center. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good disclaimer. (laughs) That's my disclaimer. I love Um, it. Jonathan, I I, I can't wait to talk to you more. Um, And I think we're going to have to have you on again because it sounds like there's a whole lot of topics we could have some fun with. And bring in another guest to the mix. Really try to explore and tease out these things. So... Let's get together. You're in Houston next week. I am. I'm coming in on Tuesday. Um, I cannot begin to thank you both for this opportunity. Uh, And please hear me. I love what you are doing. I love the conversations you're having. I love you reaching out and talking to disruptors. I hope you guys get together with a lot of people that can help make changes or bring more awareness to it. So from me to you, I, this was the best time I spent this week. Thank you so much. for Thank it. you. It's thank been you, a great Wait, Yes. Thank you for your time. It was, it was a pleasure. It really was. Absolutely. Catch up with me. Uh, I'll catch up with you, Laura. I'll reach out Definitely. to you tomorrow and okay. we'll catch up. You guys go have a wonderful day. Enjoy your lives. Thank you. And thank you again for the opportunity.
Thank you, Jonathan. You as well. Thanks, Jonathan. Take care. See ya.